Joy. It's a podcast by two black queer men about the black queer experience. You're joined by me, Ainsley. And myself, Kieran. Yes, and I, for one, am so gassed because mm-hmm. we have finally managed to secure our very first guest a on guest? the show. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's here, you can't back out. <laughs> <laughs> Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like there's no getting out of it now. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so Kim and I are pleased to be joined by Rico Johnson Sinclair, director of Cineke, a film festival about the queer experience, would you say? Yeah, so we're specifically uh, we're we're an inclusive queer film festival operating in Birmingham, uh, that focuses on or prioritises the stories of queer, trans and intersex people of colour. We also help other organisations be more inclusive in their programming and also in their marketing and audiences. So I'd say we're like a queer film exhibition company. Okay, Mm. well it seems like you have quite a lot of strings going on. Yeah, I mean like it's it's tricky because it's basically like during the festival period, before we used to be a community cinema, so we'd have screenings every two months um, in like random locations in uh, Birmingham um, but then over the years we kind of developed it into a festival so we had our first festival last year we have our second festival uh, this year in a month um, from the 26th to the 29th of March um, and so with with that a big chunk of the activity happens around March because we're a festival right. yeah. so for the rest of the year we focus on like the inclusive programming at other venues right, okay. um, and then thinking about um, like how best to engage with our community um, on a larger scale so we do a lot of work with BFI Network to try and uh, facilitate uh, young uh, queer people of colour um, and how they kind of make films yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, yeah we, do, we do a fair bit <laughs> how did you um, how long have you been around and how did you did you come up with the idea just one day or was it always been a dream it, it was or? a really interesting conversation so I I was uh, doing this uh traineeship with a company called Independent Cinema Office in London mm-hmm. where you're placed at a film uh, venue or film festival for like nine months uh, called Feds and I was placed at Flatpak Film Festival in Birmingham and I was having a conversation with my line manager who was awesome um, and she was basically talking to me about um, how the best way to see film is in the cinema and I I'm not an advocate of piracy but I understand the value of piracy mm. and piracy actually knocks down a lot of barriers for you of piracy yeah like I definitely feel like the film in- industry needs to hold themselves accountable they have conversations about like getting people into the cinema but they have to understand there's a lot of barriers for low income and, and working class okay, people yeah, because of ticket yeah. prices like I wouldn't love film as much as I love film now if it wasn't for piracy because I couldn't afford to go to the cinema mm-hmm. like some of my fondest memories of the DVD man down the road who used to used to pay a fire yeah, bag so <laughs> yeah. he, um, he, he had a woman and the woman he's going to the, you know, the barbershop he's one on Dudley Road he's going to and she's been there every week she was like <laughs> those, people, play, those people are some of that the biggest hostlers oh, exactly. <laughs> they work hard they work hard they work like absolutely absolutely and like being on the other side of it that's even more prevalent because it's like getting those getting those screeners it's it's tough work yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so from there I um yeah I worked at Flatpak for a while and uh, yeah I spoke about uh, to my line manager about queer film 
and how there is no queer film being shown in cinemas. Yeah. So actually, that's a huge barrier. And then she was just like, well, why don't you create something? And I did. Oh, amazing, <laughs> yeah. Amazing, you don't see it there. You make it yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's Incredible. the attitude you've got to come with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess so from that point, like, where would you actually have started? Like, if someone told me, mate, like... I don't know, I have no idea where we'll begin. Right. So, like, yeah, the interesting thing was the course that was actually on was training me to do all of that anyway. Flatpack, right. Flatpack mm-hmm. as an organisation, incredible festival happening here in Birmingham. They are uh, really kind of, like, do-it-yourself people. They've got a cinema screen, uh, a cinema kit in their office, and they go out and they put a festival on every year. So, from them, just piggybacking off their events and looking and seeing and getting involved. I learned how to, you know, operate a kit. Um, then also I did a, a programme with an organisation called Cinema for All, which is called um, Sustain, which taught me about, like, what kind of kit you need for what kind of space, all the kind of, like, specifics of that. Um, thankfully, I don't have a venue. Uh, I operate with other venues. So, right, okay. so for me, it's about the film and not necessarily about the kind of technological side of it. Yeah, of course. I yeah. Of venues. But yeah, it was just kind of like, do it and fake it until you make it, kind of. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think I've like served you well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's complicated because Cinecube is essentially me, like year right. round. I'm the only person doing Cinecube. And right. then during the festival, we have a bunch of incredible people that help out. Um, yeah, but obviously, the, the problem is when you're from a working class or low income background, you have to have your love alongside your job. Of course, yeah. Mm. And Cinecube isn't a thing that can sit alongside a full-time job. Right. So actually, I find myself working lots of freelance jobs. And the problem is with that is, like, there's no security. So again, if you're from a low-income or or, um, working-class background, Mm -hmm. like... Working freelance when people don't pay your invoices on time, when you're yeah. only working two days or one yeah. day a week, it's like, how will I pay my rent? How will yeah. I? So that comes with a whole other yeah. complexities. But I'm really happy to be working in the film industry. It's been a dream of mine for a really long time and really difficult to break into at first. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I think you're doing, you're doing amazing. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anyone, yeah, I don't know anyone who works in the film industry really mm-hmm. and who's like come up with like a platform with something like this. I think it was it. It could only work in Birmingham because Birmingham is one of the most young and, and diverse cities. But also, like it, uh, well, it could work in Birmingham, but it could, could also probably work in Manchester because Manchester has Rainbow Noir, which is like an amazing, um, like kind of safe space for uh, QTI PSE mm-hmm. in Manchester. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, th- I feel like um, it was it's necessary because I think a lot of queer stories that we get. A, a very cisgender, very white gay male. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And those are the only ones that get wide release. If you look mm-hmm. at like the only film that I've seen that's black that's that's had a like a wide release um, that's queer is Moonlight, and everyone yeah. talks about Moonlight a lot. And it's like, okay, yes, Moonlight is a great film, yeah. but there are many queer black. Yeah, and then the actually two institutions is like, oh, they had that amazing queer black film. They don't need another one, right? And that, well, yeah, that is an incorrect like, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's like really reductive. So when you think of Moonlight, is what I can't remember what state it's set in, but it's about a specific like sort of, sort of low working or low income working class background. Yeah, yeah, like kind of guy who's grown up closeted. Yeah, is that is that that one story? There are yeah, so many yeah, stories yeah. that could be told. And actually, like anyone that's queer and black already knows that story because we've all lived it. Yeah, I, mean? yeah, <laughs> that's I think that's the thing because it kind of when you watch it, you relate to it. But then, yeah, yeah. 
it probably feels more groundbreaking to people that aren't from that world. Yeah, I guess. yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like when I watched uh, I'm Not Your Negro, um, and I watched it at this thing. So when you're a programmer, you go to these things called screening days, and it's basically like a three-day event where you sit in cinemas and watch the independent film that's about to come out for the next term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I watched I'm Not Your Negro at one of those events, and um, it got me angry, but everything on screen I, I knew, because you know, I, grew, I grew up black. I'm, yeah. growing, I'm, growing, I'm still growing up black. Yeah. So I'm engaged with that com- with our community. Um but a lot of the white programmers in there were like, oh, that was so affecting. And all yeah. of them came up to me after the film and was like, what did you think about it? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why? Why do I have to be the voice, the token voice of black of people? Course, like, yeah. <laughs> For me, like, I, I, I actually don't think I've seen any black queer film apart from Moonlight. Right. And when it came out and when I watched it, I remember, like, obviously, um, everyone talked about it. Visually, it's a beautiful, stunning film. I really love it. But because it hits so close to home and because like there were certain things in it which just remind me of my own experiences that like have never been really out there, mm. that made it kind of hard to watch. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a That scene in the second act of the of the film when like he's a teenager and he's being bullied, it was like really tough to like really tough to watch. It's yeah. kind of like no one like somebody hits you in a certain, <laughs> yeah. In a certain way. Yeah, when you watch your own experiences on screen it hits you differently. It really does. I watched uh I watched a film by Marlon T. Riggs, uh, the late Marlon T. Riggs, called Tongues Untied. Yeah. And that, for me, was exactly the same yeah. as you're describing for uh, tongue, uh, uh, sorry for Moonlight. Uh, so for Tongues Untied, it's basically this like analogy, an hour-long analogy of uh, a black man who's dealing with internalised racism and internalised homophobia. Oh, and, okay. and he expresses himself through, like, there's like a section in the film which is like called Snapology, which is like the different ways that black queer men snap and what they mean. Yeah. Um, and it's like spoken words there's all this spoken word throughout it and storytelling um and but but basically it just like it's talking about how revolutionary it is that black men loving black men yeah um and that yeah. for me having dealt with so much internalized homophobia and internalized racism um myself yeah was the first time on screen i was like oh okay right so i'm not the only one that feels like this and also there is a way to get past it i'm not going to mm-hmm. be like this forever um so what's yeah. that film called tongues and tide i'll check that out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know I, I don't know if it's like my own ignorance or not you kieran but like i've just never like i wouldn't even say someone had asked me like is there queer films or is there anything for like black like especially like black or uh, films or that kind of media for black PLC or queer people. I've said I don't think there is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'd be clueless. I'd, yeah, I'd be completely clueless. I'd probably so. think I'd, I'd be like there must be some around, but I don't know anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, so. it's, it's definitely trickier. Um, there, there aren't as many out there. But the way the film industry works, I guess, is that you have to make you have to prove an appetite for something for it to get made. Mm-hmm. So you have to prove that black people want to see black queer films to get black queer films made mm-hmm. and so whilst they are out there they're scarce and then when you do find them it's a bit of a tricky one because uh, the way the film industry works is you need to go through a distribution uh, company and distribution companies just don't buy black queer film so right. actually you have to get in touch with the director and then you often end up paying way more for a film right. than if it was coming okay. through a distributor if you if it comes through a distributor um it's it probably you're paying around £100, £150 for a licence to screen it once. If you if you get it through the company, um, 
you can you can pay anything up to eight hundred pounds for 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 one screening. Yeah, how it works? You have to pay per screening. Yeah, when it's a yeah when it's a you're you're sharing a film with an audience that's paying. You Mm. have to pay a license to screen it once. That's not the way it works with cinemas. With cinemas, you have to it's it's more complicated. But basically, you take it for a certain amount of days and you pay for it for a you you don't pay for it, but you give them a percentage of the box office. So you give them like fifty percent of what you make. Right. Right. This is all like all new. Like I said, I don't really have much experience in kind of like, you know, especially in like where it's made, where it's distributed or anything like that. Mm. So like, I feel like both Q and I are learning something. <laughs> 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 like, we're taken to school. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the process of, when you're organising a festival, like yeah. getting the line-up and... Arranging screenings and stuff. How many yeah. have you done? Like this is the, this is the second festival. Second. Uh, last year had eight events. This year has fourteen events. Um, yeah, before that, doing regular screenings. I've done about six or seven before it turned into a festival. Mm-hmm. So I guess like the starting point is like you need money. Uh, so you have to apply for funding from like the BFI. Um, so the way the BFI is separated now, which is way better, is you've got the central BFI in London, but you also have the regional hubs. So okay. in Birmingham, we're covered by something called the BFI Film Audience Network Hub Midlands, mm-hmm. so Film Hub Midlands, and they have pots of money that you can apply to to uh, do things like festivals or screenings and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the process is a lot simpler than if you're applying for, to, say, the Arts Council or another public funding body. Um yeah, so then you get you get your money, you're like, okay, how am I going to se- separate this? You write a budget, um, then you go out there and start finding the films. I think that's the trickiest part, and that's what mm. a film programmer's job is. There's literal people called film programmers mm-hmm. whose, whose sole job is to go out there, find films, to screen. Um, yeah, so you, you go out there, you start with like your short of the weeks... Um, to to look at short films, then you look at what's coming up in the, in the calendar. I regularly, as a queer film programmer go to Peccadillo Pictures first because they're, right, okay. they're the biggest queer film um, right, distributor okay. in, in, uh, in the UK. Um, look at what they've got coming up. If I can't find what I need, I'll then start to do a little bit of research on like directors making black queer work or um, or queer PSC work. I mean, the festival this year has got definite um, like East Asian like thread running mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. And I think that's just generally because we talk about like PSC a lot and like South Asian uh, people are generally included in that and black people are generally included in that but yeah. I find that yeah. East, mm-hmm. East Nations people peoples and, and perspectives often aren't so I wanted to showcase that they are also a part of this mm-hmm. um, so yeah um, then after you've got your films you then think about venues so you get in contact with your venues and say like look um, I want to do this event will you let me do it there um, a lot of venues will charge you ask you to uh, ask you to pay for venue hire Thank, yeah. Thankfully, a lot of venues in Birmingham have been super supportive, so oh, okay, great. I've had yeah. to pay less of that. Um, once you've got your venues and your films, then you go about wraparound activity, because if it's a festival, you, people aren't just going to come into the see the film and then leave. You've got to think about ways to get them enticed. So, like, your Q&As, your, like, we're doing Tons and Tide at the festival with, like, a dining experience, uh, like a curated okay, dining experience. Right, yeah. And so, like, you do activity around that to get people engaged. And then from there, it's just a lot of... Um, Marketing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of social yeah. media marketing. Yeah, so yeah, and you do it yourself. <laughs> I do, I do it my, I do the beginning bit myself. Uh, then I've got someone that helps me, um, Tiff, who's amazing, um, helps me with social media marketing and with the delivery of the festival. I'm really 
glad that we have volunteers that want to engage with the festival that say like oh yes we'll come in uh, we'll come to the screening and then we'll help out and then go and see the film or, or we need this mo- um, this many hours for our module at university and we're still oh, in okay. films that's great yeah. yeah that's a good way actually to get yeah, yeah. To get a lot, lot of arts organisations have to do that because it's, there simply isn't enough money in the arts in the UK like if we look at even making a film here in um, in like the UK or making a TV TV show so let's talk about making a TV show so each TV show in the UK I guess is about 25,000 you get 25,000 to make it like mm. one episode of one show in America is one million pound yeah so the difference there is huge yeah what <laughs> yeah. 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 I think you can see it as well yeah. Yeah. you can see the difference Absolutely. I guess yeah like, America is always like super super well produced yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, glossy, like, very glossy yeah. Yeah. it's Someone's always a bit too much like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a British TV show when, like, it's just like a filter grey when you know. I quite like it, it's quite endearing. No, yeah, I think because you know, like, uh, British TV does like the gritty drama as well, Mm. and I think that is one of the reasons why because their production is a bit lower value, absolutely, it feels a bit more real. Yeah, yeah. if you you have if you have less, less budget. You focus way more on your story and how it looks. Like if you've got a lot of, lot of budget, you're throwing money at the problems instead yeah. of actually finding yeah, like to solve the problems. Yeah, yeah. like we, uh, like I just produced a film for uh, amazing uh, scriptwriter and director called uh, Zena, um, and that was funded by the BFI. Um, it's called Sweet Mother, about a British Nigerian guy who comes out to his parents and has to face that kind of like duality of like being British and Nigerian and actually being disenfranchised from family often means losing a chunk of culture because we live in Britain and we don't have access to that culture freely. Um, Yeah, and that process, I think we were were given £15,000 to do the short film Um, and yeah, when you you actually factor in the fact that you need like a crew, you need catering, you need somewhere for people to sleep, like actually that money goes super fast. Yeah, Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. I've always, cause I've, I've always thought about like the process of putting of like making a film, making anything that's recorded is like the process is just phenomenal, from like location mm. to lighting to sound to wardrobe. Yeah. Um. Obviously, they have someone to direct what what's going on. Have mm. actors, mm-hmm. impossible. Hair and makeup. Hair and makeup. Yeah. 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 It's like it, it's, it's a beast. Yeah. Completely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get what the attraction is to. Completely get the attraction to it. It's such a massive undertaking. The best thing about it is like so it is a massive undertaking, but it's a massive undertaking for a period of time. Mm. I will never be the kind of producer or director or writer that goes from one job to another. I can mm. never be the kind that was like, oh, I've just finished like a, a shoot. I'm now going to do another shoot. I couldn't do that, which is why I think I'm really happy to have balanced like exhibition with production. So right, okay. film, film exhibition is showing the film, and production is making the film. And yeah. so by balancing the two, I'm able to make film, but then also take a break from making film to show film, okay. and then go back into making. Yeah, film. So I was kind of like, would you say like doing all more on your own terms? Yeah. Than rather. Yeah, because okay. because like with like with anything, if you do it enough. It gets saturated, so you just become exhausted by it. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine it? Like when you're on set, you have to get up at like you know six o'clock in the morning. You go to bed at like you know sometimes one in the morning. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that constantly every day? Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah. Couldn't. I think that's kind of like the life of creative. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's vacation, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It does, um, I think it does take. It does take 
it's toll on you. Mm. Definitely. So, um, like, Kieran and I, was, well, Kieran was, was creative as well. <laughs> <laughs> was that? You know he's a true creative when he says, was I? <laughs> <laughs> he hates to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell us about it. Tell us about it. No, I used to do music more for quite a long time. Yeah. Okay, um, no, right. He's yeah. downplaying it. He used to be an incredible clarinetist. <laughs> He, um, what, you went to university? Music uh, college, yeah. Yeah, um, that, that, but I'm sure what's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, locally. Hmm. Um, From here, raised and studied here as well. Yeah. So, you spent a lot of years doing it. Like, I know that, I know that Kim was good because I used to play with him. So, I studied music as well, but, like, definitely, like, he talked to it, talked to it the most. And, yeah. like, yeah. Okay. It <laughs> <laughs> goes back to what we're talking about, like, the whole, it does become your life, like, yeah, everything, you arrange everything around, or everything around practice, everything around preparing for auditions, mm. everything around preparing for concerts and whatnot. Yeah, but I think for me, I, what I've when I've looked back and reflected, I loved being a student. Yeah, but then actually, when you think of how that would have been converted into being a professional, it's completely, completely different. Because as a student, like you had like sort of limitless time to just yeah. develop yeah. to yeah. yeah. But then I didn't make the switch to being professional. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. One thing I'd say about that is, though, like, with music, especially like with classical music, with like actual like training to be a musician, like being a an instrument, mm-hmm. it takes so much investment that like, I am not just time, as in like money, then buying yeah. instruments, having training, having them repaired, making sure you're top of the game, that like they never tell you about when you first start learning an instrument. You learn it because you like it, you enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, and it's like an extracurricular activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, and then they hook you in. The cost though, the cost to do, to practice what you want creatively. Yeah, is so important. Like this mm. is what like when I was younger, I was like, I want to be an author because for me, there's something really great about being able to sit there with pen and paper mm. and writing. It's mm. like a really cheap way to be creative, and it uses. Yeah, I thought I've, I've said that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a similar vein. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I went to uni, so I went to University of the Arts and I studied production for live events and TV. Yeah. And the one thing that I noticed is like, and it is an incredible university and uh, you know all of that. But like one thing that I noticed is like for me, moving to London, to live off a student loan which gave me a grand a month, to then buy have to buy six hundred pounds worth of equipment every yeah. time mm. was in, impossible, absolutely yeah. impossible. So there was things I was having to do to the kind of like undercut like, the way that they prescribe that I do it. Yeah. And that obviously affected the work, which obviously affected my learning because I wasn't learning how to do it properly. Yeah. I was learning how to do it my way, the cost-effective way. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, cost is such a huge thing that needs to be clarified before you start, like, a... I think, I think so, yeah, because it's always a case of... I don't know, because I, I came over feelings that, oh, it's just essentially just a rich man's game. Especially yeah, no, I'll be just about to say that's like, what it's really, yeah. It's like lots of money in, not much money out. Yeah. Um, so when you do go in sort of a lot of these circles, it is going to be full of people that have wealthy parents. Um, yeah. I'll I don't resent them. I don't resent people for that, that because yeah. I'm just like, yeah. you're going to support your kids if you can. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's, but it's like, just a shame, it's though. It's like, to, yeah. yeah. There are people, like, there are people from lower incomes. Um, obviously, like us being like black people, brown people are represent are, are more represented in that. Who like are so talented, who have the skill to do to do what to what people who are rich or have a rich background do, just will never get the opportunity. To. And it's just like it's really sad because like people. I mean, one thing I will say, especially more through music, 
is that like really being a musician is a really selfish endeavor kind of because you spend yes. so much time just you mm-hmm. and just an instrument and you really only building up yourself you're not yeah. um you're not like curing cancer you're not doing anything else you are being the best musician you can but with that with that once you have got the skills once you mm-hmm. are out there and you are making music that really affects people yeah then that is a good thing that is something that we can take something from yeah but without like without there being that access people who wouldn't be able to then that's just that's just lost isn't I, it i also think like and this may sound really cynical but like i generally think like creative endeavors or artistic endeavors are a mixture of like pain Mm, and yeah and like passion yeah like i always think people that have had painful experiences make better music people that have had so like and so actually when you think about it all these people that uh, are coming from privileged backgrounds and not having to, they have pains obviously everyone has pains but not the depth or the complexity of pains with you have to know what it's like to be hungry to really want yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it, yeah there's yeah. a james baldwin quote i can't remember what it is but someone some interviewer asked him oh you know when you're growing up you want to be right and you were poor you were black and you were, and you were gay and i think they basically asked him if you thought that was like a big adverse thing to come across he was like no i thought i'd hit the jackpot <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true you think of all the things that you have to draw on, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> way to put it, literally, like, <laughs> but that is specifically creative and not societal, so obviously it works against you in, in, in society, yeah, of course, yeah. it works for you as a creative, yeah. and, and actually, like, speaking frankly, one of the most powerful things is to be, like, queer and black in the film industry at the moment, because there's so much talk about diversity, yeah. like, that almost there's more opportunities for me at the moment, however, those opportunities are tokenistic and they will be taken away as soon as possible so like give it five years and people will stop caring about diversity but right, yeah. right but right now yeah so i had a question that's gonna keep going <laughs> 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 happens <laughs> um i did want to find out though like kind of like so what was it about like what was it that drew you into film and like kind of like like where did your interest spark with like this art form specifically right so my my interest with film started with with books to be honest um so i used to be i still am obsessed with stories mm-hmm. like at my heart that's why i why i love film I, yeah I, that's why i want to be could be a filmmaker that's why i show films i'm obsessed with stories and i used to be the kid from a low-income back, background but also with parents that were kind of they had their hands well for, for, with a mom that had her hands full quite yeah. a lot so i was left to my own devices my favorite thing to do is to find a quite peaceful corner and read some books like yeah. I used to take myself to the library got myself a library card brought myself back used to love summer because we didn't have torches in the house my mum didn't believe in torches so in summer I could stay up reading later right. and that was the only reason I loved <laughs> yeah. summer like um, so yeah for me coming off the back of that started to write and still do write all the time um, now it's changed the script but and I still write short stories but for me, it was that, that, that first moment I was like, film is actually really great, is seeing the power of film. And it started, it was a transitional period that started with TV. Um, so I remember how my mum reacted to me when I first came out. And then I remember how she reacted to the uh, Coronation Street storyline, the first 
gay, well, not the first gay storyline, Todd and I remember that storyline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I remember the way that my mum treated me after she saw that storyline was completely different from the way she treated me before. Right, okay. And, and so yeah. I became really curious about why. And actually, when I was at university, like, I did my dissertation on the normalisation of queer culture through soap, soap operas. Right, okay. And Interesting. And like, like, found yeah. out that there was a lot to do with like repetition and, um, and routine mm-hmm. when people are engaged with something and they're regularly talking about it. Like, you have to imagine these people... These characters have been in this soap for since they were young. The people that are watching them have seen them grow up. It's almost like they're a part of their family, but they don't have to feel any emotion with them, mm, yeah. apart from when they watch them. So seeing a queer storyline with people that you've known almost grow up, you've seen grow up, that you only have to engage with while you're watching it, allows mm. people to get used to the idea. Right, okay, yeah. that makes sense. And, yeah. and like, so I took that, that that thing that I noticed with with my mom, um, and then kind of ran with it and was like, actually, this is a really powerful medium. So I took myself to go see some films, and realised that I felt changed after I come out because okay. my my world was really small because it was made up of my imagination. I'd read books, right. and all these books were directly linked to my imagination because I could make it how I wanted to make it. Right, when, you, when you're okay. watching a film, it's telling you how it is. Right, I, yeah. I feel like there's all, there's too much wiggle room with film, uh, with um, books compared to film. Like when you watch a film, because it's being dictated to you, it's a better way for you to reach an audience with stories that they may not have encountered yeah, before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the reason that I work in film is because film is such a powerful medium for change. But the reason that I love film is because I love stories. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that whole thing, like, growing up with reading, I think that's something that both Kevin and I can relate to. Yeah. Um, My mum was, like, a very avid reader and always encouraged me to do the same. So, yeah, and um, when I was growing up, like, I always used to be encouraged to write more. So I used to write short stories. I used to try and, like that part of me that's kind of like why so when I went to university I studied music I studied music and English literature and so because I was kind of like been really interested in um in stories as well so yeah and <clears throat> since like growing older I think because um my coming out has come out I think a lot later than most other people mm-hmm. but before all of that kind of in terms of creativity I already think that like if I want to tell a story or if I want to do anything creative I'd have to make something up because like um, all of the writers, that like, everyone who worked, who was creative, I respected, did the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like you know like Tony Morrison of the world, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you want to be like these people. You want to be like these people who made this work that's kind of like affected you. Yeah. In such a big way, and then um, it's only literally. So I remember um, watching like a TED talk about um, is that from Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, the year of yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another um, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And she was like, she was a bit the same. She was like, I wanted to be a writer. I used to sit down and try to like create, to like create a book. Cause that's kind of what I feel like I need to do. Yeah. And I think I was the same. But then like after I came out like a year ago, it's been dawning on me that actually you cannot create something completely fictional but still be creative. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. And also I think the best stories are the stories you... Like, 
I think a lot of people when they start making films, they will make the film that's like their autobiography, but in a film. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think that breaking the little things you feel up into little chunks and then creating a story around it. Yeah. I think is a better way to do it because yeah. then it feels real, but it's not you. Yeah. You're, yeah. Allowed, you're allowed to because every artist wants to kind of show themselves yeah. in some kind of way. I yeah. think with with writers and with directors, um, like there's this element of. I want to tell my story and actually if you're writing a story that has nothing to do with your experience and why should you be the person to tell that story it's something, yeah. like, something that Alex Jackson from the BFI says a lot it's like why is it you that needs to tell this story yeah. um, and so I think the best way to do it is like say you experience that pain when you were younger take that pain and put it into a film but you also experience this pain when you were older mm. and oh, then put that, that into sense. a story no, that makes sense mm. I could think that is, you know like people who act I, I can imagine that be a way that they get taught to kind of like bring emotion into a scene mm. yeah I think um, Regina King I was interviewing should like need to put a bit of yourself in that person and maybe that's how they do it so that does make sense yeah I think it makes sense yeah, I think I've seen some incredible actors, like, and the kind of, the change from when they're having a conversation to the gravitas when they're, when they're performing. We worked with an incredible woman called Kemi um, for Sweet Mother, and she was a joy, like an actual joy. And then when that camera came on, she was serious. She owned that set. And so, yeah, it, incredible to watch. But yeah, you could tell that there was a little bit of, like, cognitively you could tell that there was a little bit of herself that she kind of like yeah. put into view to yeah. perform that yeah, of course. Yeah. drawing on like sort of experiences and that you've had like some in adulthood and some in childhood like you said yeah. 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 yeah that's probably the best way to get the most authentic yeah yeah but like don't try and throw all of it at it so don't tell your story of childhood that grows up into the story of adulthood and then try and add the little bits of pain you felt along the way because yeah. you're, you're doing too much like no mm. like the, the beautiful thing is about film and this is why I prefer fiction to non-fiction to documentary um, like film is a great way to tell a story but make it entertaining like no one is going to watch something that's hard and enjoy it mm. and some people do watch films to like like actually engage with the world but most people watch films to escape from it yeah yeah so so actually if you want to reach the most people the best best way to do that is to wrap something up that's important for people to learn in an entertaining little bubble and then they'll engage with it but still learn the lesson right yeah yeah Yeah, i can think of a couple of films i've seen that are Oh, what's the term people use? Like trauma porn or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah, which is yeah. Like, a, bit, a, bit, a bit crude, but it's <laughs> a case of it's it's like you know it's very real, but you don't get the element of escapism. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, it's like you'll watch hard. something. I'm yeah. gonna watch it again. Like, I can appreciate yeah. it's great, but yeah, it's uh, it doesn't, you don't leave with a good feeling. I think they're important to have them. But yeah, yeah. But, but actually, they're, they're like, never gonna be attractive. But actually, like reality is so traumatic. Like, why would you engage with trauma on the screen as well? Yeah, like, things yeah. are so difficult at the moment for everyone, um, mm. apart from you know rich white people. <laughs> 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 but yeah, things are tough for everyone at the moment. Yeah. So why would you choose to then watch something that's tough on the screen? Obviously, yeah. you're trying to get away from all of that just for a couple of hours. So that's mm. what film is. That's the beauty of film. So why then would you engage with something that's gonna? take you through trauma yeah um and that like th- that's not to say that some tr- some ways of watching films can't be entertaining and traumatic obviously horrors or thrillers are exactly that that's the mm-hmm. point of them but like that's a cathartic kind of um 
almost like trauma whereas if you're just watching someone's life dictated in a documentary and it's a hard life it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. It's like, oof, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. passing the burns on TV yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are times for that there are yeah. times for those documentaries yeah. Yeah. there are times where you have to make noise um, and like I think documentaries are great for people to engage with things, something on a mass scale but me personally I use fantasy to escape reality yeah, yeah. I don't like engage with art forms to kind of be more aware of reality I'm already plenty aware of reality yeah, yeah. I guess you just got in onto like a question I'm going to ask because obviously you said that you do some writing yourself mm-hmm. and you've made you've made films obviously you make films that's about like the, the I don't want to just say black queer but like queer uh, queer personal color experience but of course there's still genre in that so like yeah though um, would you want to make I don't know like I guess trying to make fantasy films on a budget would be hard. Yeah, absolutely. But doable. Like, so, like, is there a genre that you'd like to do or, like, play around with or...? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess I would like to make the first queer back horror film. Uh, I love horror, horror films. I grew up on horror films. It would be great to make one. Um, yeah. But, again, horror films are really difficult. It's really difficult. Like, you have to imagine, like, when you make your first short film with the BFI, the BFI will fund you £15,000 or less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You make the second feature, the BFI will give you the same £15,000. Uh, sorry, the second short, the BFI will give you le- um, 15000 or less. Yeah. You make your first feature through the BFI, it will take you three years and you'll get like a one million, £1.2 million pounds to make a feature. But like out of that, like 75% of that is staffing. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and like admin and like catering. That one stretch for over three years. Yeah. Work, so yeah. Yeah. Right. So like actually making things like fantasy, making things like, um, that aren't story focused is okay. extremely hard to do in the UK's film yeah, industry. Yeah, I can imagine. They, yeah, they've can got imagine. the money in the American film industry, but they don't have the money here, which is why you don't see a lot of British like fantasy films. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a shame actually. Because uh, our, like our whole film industry is propped up by the National Lottery. That's how yeah. if I get their money. Yeah. Um, and so like it, more, the more people that buy lottery tickets, the more money there is in the arts. And that's oh. just the way it is. But like not just the arts as well as the National Lottery. We have a National Lottery Community Fund, which yeah, um, yeah, well, yeah. And so like yeah, the more money. So buy a lottery ticket every. <laughs> Help fund me. <laughs> so yeah, I'm actually a big fan of horror movies. Of like, especially like the old, like the um, when like it was still kind of like emerging as a genre. Uh, yeah. So like, I guess I don't know the ones that I've watched will only be kind of like the classic ones, ones that like everyone would have watched, and they're always quite problematic. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a I have a really weird rule. I have a rule that I only give what I don't watch films before nineteen ninety. Okay. And I give everyone that I meet. Uh, I allow everyone that I meet to give me one film from before nineteen ninety that I should watch. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's because like before nineteen ninety, all depictions of black characters were in some way problematic. Yeah. Um, and also before nineteen ninety, a lot of what is in cinema is like affluent white people that or really poor white people that grow to be affluent white people. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the narratives are played out. There are some interests, interesting films within that. But that's what I have other people's suggestions for. Yeah. But my view as a programmer, I want to focus on the future and not necessarily on the past. Of course, yeah. yeah so many for us, yeah. So many people in our industry are like, oh, it reminds me of like if we look at La La Land, it's like it reminds me of old Hollywood. Yeah. So I don't want to get caught up in yeah. that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, so what? I'm sorry, just to 
a quick rant about La 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 Land. Let's do it. Let's do it. Speak your truth. So one thing I will say, I loved the first scene. The very first scene on the on the freeway. Loved it. I thought that was great. We filmed. I watched like something like how they made it. Amazing. Like the um, like the theme. That was where the, uh, my enjoyment began and ended. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely think I I enjoyed La La Land. I didn't. I, I, it's not one of my favorite films. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, Same. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely enjoyed it, um, but it was very much like go to the cinema watching one. So that was yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also, it's gonna sound stupid, but you know when you I knew it was a musical, but I didn't really sort of. It didn't really think, seem like a musical. Yeah. No, but yeah. before I watched it, I kind of I knew it was a musical. But I didn't really think about it being a musical. Yeah. So from that very first scene, where they yeah. sing another day in sun, another yeah. day of sun. I was like, oh wow, it's a musical. And obviously that, that first scene is really good. And I'm like, wow, yeah, it's amazing. And it feels yeah. does feel like a throwback to older times. Yeah, really. it does. But then it's just like it's it's quite twee overall. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Movies, man, you kind of yeah. No. I mean, I mean, I think I'm really biased. I think the reason that I enjoyed the film was because I really enjoy Emma Stone as an actress. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I think she's yeah. funny from like Easy A, which is amazing, to like um, The Help. Where she plays the only likable character. She's in the, oh, she, yeah. oh, she's isn't she? Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I saw him to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And the favorite, she plays an incredible uh, character in the favorite. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. So I really, I really like Emma Stone. I haven't seen many Emma Stone films. In well, I mean, she won Best Actress. Did she win Best, uh, Best Actress Oscar? Yeah, I think and so. Not to throw yeah. shade at Emma Stone, but like, I guess if like, because obviously there's a lot of singing and dancing that goes into it, mm. and a lot of training. So yeah. if that's going into what you think, then fair enough. Mm. But the character that she played, I wasn't. She was like she... a, a, a regular girl. Yeah, yeah. It was particularly remarkable. Yeah, exactly. She was basically playing herself. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. But when I see the the thing is, and this is why I write Emma Stone. <laughs> so she 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 plays herself really well, and usually yeah. she gets cast in roles that she can play herself. La La Land wasn't great. Um, and so the, her playing herself in La La Land wasn't great. Yeah. However, if you look at the favourite and her transition from La La Land to the favourite, in the favourite she plays this incredibly complex character. Mm. She has, I think she is the most, from that little step, I think the most improved actress. Okay. So, so definitely, yeah. I yeah. When I watched the, the favourite, I didn't even realise it was her. I'm not like always included on actors and actresses' names, but I watched it and it's only at the end I was thinking, where have I seen her before? I was like, oh, it's from La La Land. Also, she did like a very convincing English accent. Always, it's always a big test for American Yeah, which Anne Hathaway always loses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like her, but yeah, for accents. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, that was that's one. Th- that's one, another film that I've only seen once in the cinema, mm-hmm. and I would watch it again yeah. definitely because it was very a lot of complex characters like you said in that yeah. film. I yeah. yeah, I'm so behind on like on movies, like in the last like two years. So I live next to a th- I live next to a cinema. And I work across the road from a cinema. No excuse then. Yeah, but yeah, I have like no excuse whatsoever <laughs> with it. So I'm really, yeah, I am going. I watched 1917 the other week, mm. which I really enjoyed. That was really good. And I really want to watch um, Queen's Link because everyone's been around. Oh, that's that's so, so good. I was supposed to watch it, I still missed it. Yeah, uh, so good. Oh, by the way, everyone, so. Uh, 
and both of you, so massive organisation do these amazing screenings that, like, if a film's about to come out, you can go and watch it for free so they can gauge the audience. It's like a preview screening for the general yeah. public. You've got to sign up, but then they send you an email and you get free tickets. So I saw Queen and Slim at a massive screening in Birmingham, Broadway, okay. um, Broadway Plaza. Yeah. Um, and it was incredible. However, there was definitely, like, without spoilers, there's definitely, like, this storyline in the middle of it, which doesn't need to be there. And I think like Lena Waithe as uh, as a debut because this was her debut film. Yeah. Um, tried to do too much with the time that she had, and it wasn't properly resolved, so it just felt a little odd. Um. So yeah, the like the okay. the story yeah. is incredible. Yeah. The, the the feel of it is incredible. Like it is a story of black love. It is like the black Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a little. It goes off on a tangent like halfway through, and it's just like. Why is that there? It yeah. feel, feels forced. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah it's a great okay. film. Great film. Do you have like any standout films for you? Like, I don't want to say, like, you know, like, what's your favourite film? I don't want to say that. But you know, there are like certain films that like, leave like a lasting, lasting impression on you. Yeah. I have to say, this year, one of the films that I enjoyed the most is a film called Loose. Uh, L U C E. Um, mm. It didn't have a big release in the UK. Um, but it is a t- it's basically the story of a teenager that gets saved by white parents saved in inverted commas by white parents from a war torn country in Africa. Yeah. And th- like if we look at it, the premise is that they brought him over and his name is Luce because they couldn't pronounce his real name. So they, right. they chose yeah. his name to right. see them. Um and it's all about the complexities of his character growing up in white America trying to be the black person that isn't like every other black person. Right, yeah. Um, but still having a connection with his culture with two white parents and teachers that are constantly praising him because he's not like every yeah. other black person. Oh, right. 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 I think we can all relate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're far <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yes, yeah. Yeah, oh, that that was the one. So cringe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I so my teacher in year six, um, when I did my um sats sat my sats, I did my um my maths and my science sat, um and I got a really high score on my maths sat and my teacher was like I don't think you could have possibly got this score. I think you copied someone. Oh, I think you cheated. No. I had to resit my exam. What? But then, but then again, that same teacher when we went to so we went to this like um, this trip to Buckleton. Um, I've been to Buckleton. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like a resident, a resident, yeah. a residential trip. Um, so the first night we got there, I was paired up with these t- two white boys from a class, um, and they were like running around with each other. Um, one of them sprayed the other with deodorant in the eyes. Yeah. And then... As you do. Yeah. They were like fighting and then the other one got the deodorant sprayed in the other other boy's eyes. The other boy started crying, ran off. Uh, the teacher came in, was super angry. It was like, who did this? The other boy blamed me. Instantly the teacher, when I said it wasn't me, it wasn't me, instantly the teacher was like, it's obviously you. My parents got called. Obviously wow. my mum couldn't come all the way up to Buckleton and come and collect yeah. me. Yeah. So it was like, you're not doing any of the activities here this week. <laughs> so I had to sit on my own while everyone else did activities. That is some bullshit, man. Yeah, that is and some the, bullshit. The accuser, what yeah. happened to him? Nothing. Trash. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. What is that? Uh, Jot of Apple. <laughs> Trash. <laughs> so I, had, I carried some serious resentment for, like, Bockleton residential trips. But then, like, three years later, I got into this, like, gifted and talented program and went to the Redwood Centre and got to do everything I did in Bockleton, but better anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need y'all, Bockleton. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's shocking that the bi- some of the bias you hear like of some teachers. I think I was maybe a little bit blinkered because if you are like a kind of like goody two shoes in school, yeah, you don't get like, it. Yeah, you don't really see it so much. Mm. Well, you kind of see it, but sometimes you don't. Maybe it goes over your head as a kid. Yeah, right? but for a teacher to just readily think, oh, oh you can't be, you can't be someone yeah. readily think, oh, but, it must have been you did it because he but, said it. But like least. I did, like I, I only recently clocked. So I clocked, a, I clocked this about two years ago, and there were other instances. So I was like, it's always the same teacher, and so I th- really thought about it and was like, oh right, this is like casual racism. This is, yeah, like, this it is. is this yeah. is. Like, yeah. yeah, but if you ever said that to them, they'd be like, oh, oh no, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm, fi- I'm finding more and more as I sort of get sucked into Twitter more and more how uncomfortable the topic of well, it's always been uncomfortable, but even recently, I think because people are talking about racism more, yeah, yeah, because yeah. of what happened with Meghan Markle and whatnot. I think yeah. that's when it started in my head. It's over a space of a few weeks, had pe- had storms even when he, you know, the whole 100% gaff, yeah, yeah, about Britain being. Oh, it's been racist 100% yes yeah not so really 100% racist when, yeah. yeah when that happened and, and also when with um, more media attention on Meghan Markle a few weeks after like that whole period on social media has been so toxic yeah and it was how much that a lot yeah. of people just the way of dealing with racism is denying it or pretending it doesn't exist or yeah, thinking yeah. if you talk yeah. about it it will go away I think, yeah. I think that, that's definitely when it started in the UK I think with the with America it started way before the I mean yeah. yeah like engaging with like Obviously, when you engage online, you engage with like queer people of color, but also queer people like, yeah. all over the world. Mm. And like knowing what like queer people of color were going through in America was my first like, oh right, yeah, this makes so much sense, and it's replicated here in the UK. However, because we have this thing about like always being polite and mm. yeah, always, always exactly. putting our best face yeah, forward, exactly. so it's always veiled behind. It's just, yeah, it's it just is. festering behind the scenes. Like people say, yeah. people say like. Um, like we like we don't have a problem with racism in the UK. It's not true. What what's actually happened is everyone that used to be racist has realised they can't get away with saying racist stuff. So yeah. now they internalise it and just do racist stuff. Yeah. And they, <laughs> and they feel that if they don't say it then it's not racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. If I haven't explicitly called you the N word then I'm not Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just getting proper tiresome though. It uh, is, yeah, it's it's exhausting. I don't know, I feel a bit defeated about it sometimes. Because I'm never going to be the kind of person that would like say, oh, well, that's racist because X, Y, and Z. Because you just think you're going to make your life hard for yourself. Mm. But then you kind of think, are you not being true to yourself by, caught, by not calling it out? When you yeah. say it, it's a weird thing to be caught in between. It's, all, it's, it's, like, it's that thing, it's like, it's picking the bowels, isn't it? It's mm. like, and that, I think that is both, like, obviously we're at an intersection of being queer men and being black. So, like, it comes at an intersection that sometimes you're going to hear or you're going to come across some things that are just not okay. Yeah. But sometimes it's just not safe for you to, to well, say something or do something. I, I absolutely am an advocate for always calling it out. I, really? I always call it out. And that, that, that sometimes is a detriment to myself. Yeah. And sometimes it is exhausting, especially on social media, because you have to do it every day. Yeah. But, like, but like the value of it is so important. Like, if I hadn't called out stuff in, like, my industry, like, then it might not, it might make things harder for of the younger generation that want to get into my industry that people like me yeah like, if i do it in my social spaces like like my way of thinking is that if i if i call out racism and then people don't stand behind me if it makes my life harder to call out racism when someone's being racist then i don't really want to be in that situation anyway yeah to be yeah that is a way i think though like it's hard i think it's hard i think in a professional context that like the right thing to do would be would be to call it out. Would be, but then at the same time, like I know in certain people's mind, maybe in mine, I think it would it would go through my mind that like 
now that I've been the one who's like called this out. I mean, if you take a popular culture example, you know, the whole Gabrielle Union thing mm. that's been going on with America's Got Talent, yeah. and like, now I'm going to be the person who's going to suffer because of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that, like, I do agree. I wish I would... I think... I'm not sure if I've seen, like, out and out racism that I've like, had a chance to say something about or not. <laughs> but, like, to be completely honest, I'm not sure if I 100% would. I'd like to think I would. <laughs> But, like, being, being honest with myself, I'm not sure if I would. And that's absolutely fine. It's not your responsibility to have to do it. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's not, yeah. The, not the responsibility of the oppressed people to to educate the oppressors. Yeah. Like, but I feel like it isn't. But I feel like we have to. Yeah. And, like, we, like, we have to be the ones who to be forgiving and to, yeah, to sort of, like, turn to the cheek go with more, like, Martin Luther King's teachings. Because if it doesn't, if if we don't, if we're not the ones to show grace, then it's just gonna it's just gonna be the one. Yeah, but that is oppression. Sorry, yeah. the one thing. Sorry, you mentioned Martin Luther King, and I'm just saying, I'm. I was not. I was not about you, but like, when a certain demographic always brings up Martin Luther King whenever race is discussed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get very very tired of it yeah. I'm yeah. probably more of a Malcolm X kind of like yeah. person yeah. but like <laughs> I feel like it's just a way of silencing and trying to say oh you know just turn the other cheek exactly you know? yeah. all one all one love it, it, it is oppression they're oppressing us with the teachings of yeah. someone from our community yeah. because essentially what they're saying is they're like if you speak up we're going to speak up too. That's yeah. still an oppression because mm. there is a system of imba- imbalance. And we all know if black people speak up and white people speak up, white what people's voices are louder. louder. Yeah, it's true. Actually saying that, you know, the whole Love and Fox thing on oh, the question topic. Yeah. What a trash human being. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember seeing, um, see, like, I'm going on Twitter afterwards, after like, such backlash. And him quoting Martin Luther King being like oh, the day after, weren't it? Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't usually block people on Twitter. I don't, I'm on Twitter a lot, but I don't tweet very much. So yeah. I'm, just, I'm just basically being fast what everyone else is doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think some the people are saying the best thing with people like him, they feed off the engagement and they feed off the controversy. Just yeah. block, block them and yeah. have peace of mind and be delivered. Yeah. So I blocked and I just like yeah. it still pops from time to time, but it had to be done. There yeah. Was, there was just... definitely a moment there where like after that question time thing where his publicist was like, Yeah, you've fucked it up. Like you now have no choice but to double down on it. Yeah. You've got, you've got to be like yeah. it works for him. Yeah. It was yeah. infuriating yeah. because I'd be thinking every time you retweet, every time you comment on one of his posts, yeah. Yeah. you feed into like what the person, what the machine behind the machine. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Because I mean, I mean, from from a purely capitalist point of view, I have to rate it. Like, <laughs> like, <literally, laughs> the day after that appearance, they didn't lose a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, I think that day it was a Thursday. Well, Thursday night when it happened. I didn't even watch. I don't even watch Christian time much. But so many people talking about Twitter, yeah. talking about it on Twitter. I kind of knew what was happening. But the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, all of them was Lawrence Fox, Lawrence Fox, Lawrence Fox, yeah. and it used to be he's been a constant troll. Yeah, yeah. as if you're I'm thinking, but literally he's getting his back at the same time. Yeah, all yeah. that was going on, and yeah. then all the people involved, and like, oh, finally got someone that speaks for us. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, sickening, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely sickening. Really, really <laughs> like, it, but that, Kate Hopkins has been doing that for a really long time. She has. She, yeah. she made the model. She has. Yeah. <laughs> Things. It's weirder though. Because when she started off, she started off with tamer views. Yeah. So yeah. I used to actually like, I used to find it quite funny a lot of the time. I'm thinking, yeah. I was like, oh, she just, she just likes winding people up or a bit too sensitive. Yeah. But then little by little, yeah. she kind of, she turns up like, you know, what's, you know, yeah. it's not only because of what's I been think, acceptable, yeah. so she goes out. Is, I think that like, Teddy Hopkins is a worse kind of beast than, um, than Lawrence Fox. 
Because I would think, I mean, I don't know, but I would have, I would guess that, like, from the way Question Time went, is that, that Benny saw an opportunity mm. and then went along with it. So mm. it was kind of like, it wasn't organic. But I think, like, Katie Hopkins goes on her phone or goes on uh, goes on the laptop and says something incendiary yeah. to try and wild people up <laughs> yeah. no, and try and, get, yeah, no, no. try and get people to, like, to engage. So, like, she can then, so she's got enough of a profile that she can go on these shows and on this and that to start spouting her just vitriol yeah. in the entire place and that, that is I think yeah. that is exactly how it is now but I actually think you know we're talking about Kate Hopkins often had I can't believe we're giving Kate Hopkins time but yeah, yeah here we go here we go, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, Kate Hopkins had a time of views I think this is the problem with the echo chamber the social media echo chamber or the living online echo chamber because when you're when you've got your views and you hear other people's views around you they're slightly worse than yours and you start to adapt adopt their views then when you start to say those slightly worse um slightly worse views then other people around you come around yeah. you with worse views mm. and before you know it, you've gone from like you know there to all the yeah, way yeah. over there and yeah. you haven't even realised it because the people that you're surrounded by all have the same views as you so you're like oh everyone thinks this yeah, yeah. it's the truth yeah. it's the truth it's, it's the same for the left though like it's the same for for, um, for the left like in the queer community at the moment like there's a lot of problems in the queer community and there is a lot of things that need to be said in the queer community but at the moment we're all tearing out, uh, ourselves apart or each other apart for for like changes in language or like you know things mm. that need to be like ad- addressed as like separate entities coming together and having conversations yeah. like we're all too quick to like cancel culture is like is going to be the death of I the I think it's community. infantile a lot of the time yeah. it really is like some things you can cancel people over. Yeah, absolutely. R. Yeah. Kelly would be one, like... Yes. <laughs> just <Nah. someone. laughs> If someone, like, I mean... And you, you know me, as long as I have... I've, I've sometimes been like, oh, I don't really care what he did. But then, obviously, I watched documentaries, like, okay. Yeah, no, I was like, I can't right, justify yeah, it. Not even like, I can yeah. justify that. Yeah, yeah. But, like, um, the... When someone tweets the wrong thing, or if they might show what people perceive to be their true colours. Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I'm thinking, like, you know... It's unfortunate, maybe you don't agree with what they've said. It's a case-by-case basis, but a lot of the time, for people just to be like, oh, they're cancelled, it's finished and whatnot, I'm thinking, is it what, as, what, is it really that serious what they've done? The, yeah. A few tweets, maybe, that you haven't yeah. agreed with? I think Advice. it depends. So with me for that, like, I, uh, I'm i not, like, I'm not, about, I'm not being on social media, so I'm yeah. not, like, really feeding into the whole cancel culture thing there. But like if I see something from someone, then it's it's not necessarily the infraction, but it's where you deal with the infraction right. afterwards. Mm. So um, let's take a real world example. Maybe um, Kanye West, for instance, when he said that's Taylor. Oh, well, you were never going to cancel Kanye West. Let's be honest. I'm I'm always going to cancel Kanye West. So uh, so <laughs> it's actually it's actually, Kanye. Yeah, yeah, actually with Kanye West. What I will say is, so after he said that, I did say like he's cancelled. I don't listen to him. But like what that what actually happened, and I've been I've been ready to fill for this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're picking good. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with picking and choosing. No, but what, so what I did was I didn't listen to any of his new music. But like I'm canting him from here. But then like my friend pointed out that like I still listen to like his older music, the old Kanye. I miss the old Kanye. That Kanye I still yeah. listen to. So really, if I'm gonna cancel someone, maybe you should cancel the whole, yeah. the but, whole thing. But, but also, like cancelling someone is is something that comes from the gut. Like you have, if you're gonna cancel someone, you have to be like, oh, you're cancelled. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that you didn't fully cancel Kanye West means that your heart wasn't ever in it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anyone with, like a celebrity that I've cancelled properly. And also, you know, I'm a massive, massive Zedi Banks fan. 
Oh my god. 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 I find as many as horrible things she said, I don't think she's truly like hurtful, the impact of things she's I don't think and I feel like she's herself a very conflicted individual. I'm not gonna make I don't make excuses for it and I don't try and defend her, her behaviour and whatnot. But the music bangs it and actually bangs. I mean the thing the thing is with the Zilly Banks, you have to understand like a lot of what she is currently going through is because of her experience in the music business. Mm. Like she's been she's been chewed up and spat out and she's yeah. angry and now she's trying to reclaim her fame by saying some, you know, wild hot, hot takes. Yeah, wild, wild shit. But yeah. she yeah, but the thing is I think she comes out of wild stuff but then she goes she's right on the money at other times. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, I yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, yeah like, I, I think she's all and when people I'm talking common criticism of things like oh she's just trying to remain relevant and whatnot. I'm thinking if she didn't have the talent to back up, if she didn't have the intellect, and she didn't have to say insightful things, mm. then everyone would just ignore it. Yeah, people yeah. don't ignore it because she does talk sense, like yeah. as well. There are sometimes where she's like, oh yeah, you called yeah. it. Yeah, yeah no, the, I I actually do agree. With, I do agree with that in some cases. I just think that the way she goes about it sometimes. I see, and, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And like the people who sometimes like she takes aim at. I'm just like you. Like, are you helping? Or are you? Are it's you bigger yeah. fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, what energy are you putting out? And not the world? sometimes it's, it is really in pain. It's like when she's gone for other female rappers, for example. Yeah, it's always been a case of you can see the jealousy yeah. is clearly shining yeah. through. Yeah. yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm, I am a bit like you know, I don't know how to describe it. But when it comes to celebrities. I'm not always fussed about morality that much. I like people that are interesting. Right. Whether that, whether they might yeah. they might say trash things, but I, I do like, I find those kind of characters really compelling. And with her, there's light and dark like with anyone else. But I just, I think she's fascinating. I, I love her music. Yeah. She's one of the, like, I don't really, I don't really like. Fascinating. She truly is though. I'm not the kind of person that, um, like, you know, that, does like the idolise celebs or anything? If I saw someone like her, like in real life, I think I would actually be starting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I love her so much. Yeah, she's. I think she's. I think the one person I say, oh, I actually stan literally like. Yeah, I love her. yeah. yeah. Uh, these are like a few of our friends have been drawing me for years. Going on about. I think when I, I properly discovered her, my I was always, I was aware, always aware of her, but I properly discovered her like twenty early twenty fifteen. Right, and it was true. She she had the interview with um. Well, who who is it? You know the um, what are their names? Like three American DJs in the studio. It's not the breakfast. Oh, it's not the breakfast Major club. Laser. It's the how? No, is it Hot ninety five? Hot ninety seven? Maybe yeah. Hot ninety seven. Um, is it DJ Envy? I always forget the names. But the, the three DJs in the studio. She, that was causing controversy because of what she spoke about in the interview. Yeah, I didn't really know much about it. I'd heard two on two when it came out. So I watched the interview. I was like, this this woman's fascinating. Like instantly, <laughs> I was I was like drawn to it. Yeah, and I started listening to her music. I was like, oh wow, and like. I get joked about by our friends I've been like, you know, well, I'm getting better now, but of being obsessed with throwback music and only listen to old music. She's one of the few people, like, of our generation that I've just, I've tried to listen to everything that she's created and thinking, wow, this really, like, connects with me yeah, but in the way that a lot of other people's music just kids, just man, on you like the messy, you love the messy swimming, man. <laughs> This is true. Yeah, that's we always, like, always, like, always say like, in the group chat that like if Kim was straight, like, the women you'd be taking a hobble. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 like in that Wendy Williams, like Kim, Wendy like, Williams is hilarious. Like, damn, but she's silly. She's silly, but like, oh, I, I, I think 
I think she's needed. I think she's. I think she's very entertaining. I don't think. I don't think she's a bad person. No, she's she's not. She's not a bad person. But her her whole shtick before she was a TV host, it was basically running a gossip radio show, Um, and she is she is very invasive. But then you might think she only goes after celebrity, and it's kind of fair game because it comes to the territory. But I'm not going to excuse like sort of horrible things she said, or sometimes when they get a bit too personal talking about people. But her purpose is just to gossip about. Stuff. I don't think there's there's not many things that Wendy Williams will talk about that people won't speak about behind closed doors when they're discussing their favourite celeb or something. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think she's particularly harmful. I think with but. me, for like for celebrities, for people in the public eye, for me to stand a celebrity, it needs three things: talent, um, honesty, mm. like whether that is good honesty or bad honesty, as long as they're honest, I don't care, yeah. and accountability. So when they're wrong, to say like, look, I was wrong about that. So Zelia has two of those three things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's getting, yeah. she's getting better at responsibility. She, she, yeah, she, she has apologised. She has yeah, periods yeah. where she apologises and then relapses. Yeah. She's been alright recently, though, the last few months Didn't or so. Didn't she get into a big spat about like the whole pet thing? Oh, but that did was... she then apologise? She, she did, did yeah. yeah. She just basically... But you know what? Even when she was saying that, like, there was there were elements of homophobia in her rant. But yeah. she was speaking, speaking facts as well. Talking about gay men being promiscuous. Yeah. You can't generalise, obviously. Yeah. But no one's going to come across and tell me that everything she said in that video was, like, fundamentally <laughs> untrue. Absolutely. Like, it just what? wasn't... Like, the thing is, and this is a problem with, like, most underrepresented and misrepresented communities and marginalised communities, we want our messages to be very succinct because when we spit out too many different complex messages, other people just won't listen to us. It's like diluting the waters. Yeah. Um, like, and so... The thing is, I think the reason why people get so mad with Azalea and celebrities that do exactly the same thing when they fight fight fights that aren't important right now is because like it detracts from the fight that the community is actually trying to fight mm, yeah. for. Like calling the gay gay community promiscuous and they don't need prep when people in the UK are fighting to be on prep. Yeah, it it it, it takes away from the cause yeah. of the community, yeah. and so like that message like that is damaging, and I don't think because she's not part of the community, she doesn't understand. But also because she didn't listen, she never will. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> in, I can't believe in her in her to her credit, I think she did actually. So like when she said that, like she acknowledged when she acknowledged some of the things that she said that was wrong. But then, because like obviously has like quite a big, quite a big like white gay following, mm. and she like went in hard on them. Oh, she always does. She yeah, always, she always, that's like, a recurring theme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's got to hold the account to it, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Got the, she's got a foot on their necks all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she did. She did. She did say you know it wasn't her place to say. And yeah, it, you know she's not part of the community, yeah. and she oversteps the, the yeah, line. Yeah. Actually, yeah, she's getting better. She's is she, how old is she? Twenty? I think she's younger than me. Five. No, no, <laughs> she's twenty eight or twenty. No, I mean she's five years old. That's how old. Oh, she yeah. Is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so as always, like we as the beers went to wrap. Um, we usually do a spotlight, but before we do that, I wondered like, is there any question that you want to ask Kieran or myself? Hmm. Is there any questions at you? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I want to just learn a little bit more about your experiences because I've just been like uh, talking about like my experiences of like how I creatively like turned from writing books to well reading and writing books to film. Yeah. Like, what mm-hmm. have your transitions been like? Because obviously we talk about you being a clarinetist mm-hmm. like, and where you are now. Like, how did that transition happen? And are you where you want to be? Like, what? Where do you want to be? It's interesting because that would have been. When I did music, I would call it 
that well, on paper like a creative outlet. <laughs> when I think to it, that I did classical music, so I wasn't actually making music. I was just playing other people's music a lot of the time. Right. Obviously, yeah. you have your own interpretation and whatnot. Yeah. You sometimes play new music, mm-hmm. but when I think of it, it wasn't there wasn't that much creativity that I was doing right. at the time because it was very much just classical, not much improvising. I wasn't like learning to play stuff by ear and whatnot. But then when I finished doing music, I said to myself, oh, you know, I'm not doing anything creative, I'm not doing creative. And that's where I've been in a bit of a limbo, mm-hmm. as it were, because I need to do something. Yeah. And sometimes I thought about writing, but I don't sit down and write. Like, I yeah. love, I've always loved reading, hmm. but I'm maybe waiting to find what I can do that would be creative. Okay. I mean, when you move to London, Kira. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There is um, an organisation, like, it's for, like, it's a collective, like, a music collective, Clement Robbers, and they, like, their reason for being is to get, like, people like yourself who were musicians, have an interest in music, like, into, kind of, like, into jazz, introduction to it, hmm. they have workshops, they have, like, um, and I think that would be really good for you. I'm sure I've mentioned this to you before, actually. You probably have, to be fair. Um, I have, like, I think, genuinely, because I've got a friend who's a violinist, um, she, we studied music together at the University of Sheffield um, and she had a similar kind of story to you like she played violin from when she was a child and she played classical music obviously and she hated it like she liked performing she liked playing, mm. playing the um, violin but she hated how rigid it was hated the rules mm. you didn't yeah. get along with her teachers mm. after she finished her degree she like she didn't really do like she does classical now for work but like she does jazz violin now yeah. and she's met amazing teachers she's gotten work from it she's had pupils she um is doing really well like her playing has come on leaps and bounds she leads uh, she leads the string i think the trio now mm-hmm. that and that's like really revitalized her passion for music is like if uh is by going down like jazz and like learning how to improvise and stuff like that and i think that would be really good for you because I mean, I don't want to gas you up, but you, are. <laughs> you already are. <laughs> but that's okay. And the thing that, like, I know that I, I always mention it to you, he but does, yeah, 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 I mention it like all the time. It's always on my neck. Yeah, all the time. Why do you stop? Like, you like, you are so talented at it. Like, I've played with a lot of musicians before, people who've gone through lots of things, and like, you were one of the best people that I've played with. And even when we were t- even when we were teenagers, and I just think it's a shame now, all these years later, that like you've got a clarinet that's that gathering dust. Mm. I think that's like a big shame. I think it's your first time. Honoured. Yeah, like I play saxophone. I start and we're starting starting up again. And when when I'm like practicing and, and I'm, I'm in a hard beat, I'm like, Kevin's not playing music anymore. So why am I bothering him? Uh, what about you? How do you? Uh, um, how 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 is your kind of uh, experiences in working within the creative? It's yeah. It's uh, so with me. Now. It's um. It's very so. It's hard for me to do things like to pick one thing and do it like right. and see it through. I'd say like Kevin and I doing this podcast is probably I'd say the only thing that I've really been able to see through to to materialise into something. Mm-hmm. Because like I've had blogs before where I've written short stories, I've had my idea for a book that I've done research. I'm like a fictional book that I've done research. That I might to write for, but like I never had the discipline to actually like, sit down every day and write and get all that information and get that work done and keep like building on it. 
So I know, like, I've always known that I've always wanted to be creative. It's like, it's kind of like what makes your heart sing, isn't it? It's like what, um, it's what um, you're like, passionate about. But with me, it's been just a lack of discipline and a lack of, like, real direction, actually. Okay. In kind of like where I want to do, how I want to do it and where I want to be and what direction I want to go in. And, like, even, I'd even say, like, interestingly enough for me, like, I'd say that coming out has really made a change with that. It's kind of, like, opened my point of view, so to speak. Mm. I remember, like, when I was doing writing, like, um, I always wanted to write. I, was, I always liked writing from the first, first person's perspective. And with people who worked with me, but, like, I was, like, it'd be really weird, but I think, like, don't make them too gay. Or don't make them like keep this out because you don't want to like put this into it. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. whereas after like after that, I haven't really, I haven't. That's not really been such a focus for me. Okay. But like since I've come out, I've done a little bit of writing, but it's been like more journalistic writing. So. I think like uh, this is there's a saying that like life happens when you're life is what happens when you're busy doing everything else. Mm-hmm. I think this is a really good uh, example of like you just needing to write. It doesn't matter if yeah. you're writing for a purpose. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're writing for a goal. Yeah. You need to start writing because while you're focusing on what you should write about, you'll probably write something really good. It's true, yeah. And you can't get better at writing if you don't write. It's true, yeah. And like when um, I... So, well, the first article that I wrote after I came out, um, it was with AZ, AZ magazine. And, um, like, obviously it didn't get wide distribution, but I got, like, really good feedback with it. And, like, mm. people... And I remember, like, because um, cause when I did come out, I knew people would have, like, all these questions and whatever. I just thought it would be easy just to put it here. So, if, if like, I don't have to keep saying the same I thing. I read everyone. it. No, it's, yeah. Like, you're a good writer. Mm. Yeah, so... And he writes, um, you just... Like sort of short music reviews as well, like album reviews. Oh as well. yes, yeah. You could flesh that out to longer. Like, would yeah. you ever want to be a music critic? Or I don't know. Yeah, or like is I said, it more kind of easy for fun or? Yeah, I don't know. I think. But then, even if he does it for fun, like this is the thing. Like attaching that title to it, like music critic, it doesn't need to be that. He's already a music critic, mm. do you know? Yeah. Because he's already doing it. Yeah. And yeah. if he keeps doing it and putting it in the public sphere, eventually he'll be like, oh, I've got this album, why don't you listen to this? And write up a review. And that's just how it happens. Yeah. Like, if you focus too much on a goal, well, this is what I found in my, this is my experience, not to be replicated because it might be different for other people, but I yeah. found whenever I put too much focus on doing something, it mm. never gets done. I never thought I'd have Cynicue. Cynicue was something that I just did. Yeah, yeah I didn't put too much thought into it it was never supposed to be a film festival it was always just supposed to be like me wanting to watch queer films and thinking other people also want to watch queer yeah. films and it just became what it became I think like if I came into it and was like this is going to be a film festival instantly I'd be like oh I'm overwhelmed yeah that's true that is the truth that is a really good perspective and actually when you say that like if you do want to like say like write a book for instance one thing that like, people do say is that like don't think about writing a book write a short story, mm-hmm. write a story about something, yeah. and then from that build on something else, yeah. and whatever. And even like, even in even in that way of doing it, there are like great books that I've read that have done it in that same way, mm-hmm. and they still come out as like yeah, a full full story. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. if you just be like, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write a chapter about a character. Yeah, and then well, I'm gonna write a chapter about what the character does. Yeah, I think Color Purple is a great example of that. Or um, the the book that I had to read when I was in um, when I was a teenager, like doing my A levels, um, the number one they detective agency, mm. and each of those are like 
little short stories, but it's, it's all in like one short story about like a woman who opened the detective agency in Botswana. Right. And it's great, it's like, yeah, it's really entertaining, really compelling reading. But also there are books that full of short stories. I find, yeah. I find short stories the most interesting because like me, especially with like limited time, Unlimited attention span because I've got so much going on in my mind all the time. Not just with psychosis, but with like actual jobs and work. Yeah, it's like for me, being able to pick up a short story, start beginning it, finishing it, feeling that satisfaction of finishing something, yeah. and not being able to put it down and be like, I'll read the rest another time. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's a really good thing. Okay. Yeah. No, it is. Right, and maybe go with going on. Here we go again. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so do you, um, I, yeah, so the spotlight this week will let you do Rico. Okay. Um, I said, like, we could still plug, like, still plug the film festival, like, definitely get that out there, so. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a bit about Cinecue first. So, Cinecue is a queer film festival happening in, on March the 26th to the 29th. We have a range of events. Um, that have a priority for queer, trans and intersex people of colour. Um, we're screening films like uh, Portrait of Jason, which is one of the earliest depictions of a queer man of colour on the screen. Um, we're screening Tunnels Untied with an Intimate Dining Experience, um, curated in partnership with Grand Union Gallery, um, and a range of like other fantastic events. Um, yeah, so make sure you come and check, it, check us out. Um, you can see the full programme on our website, which is uh, Cinec, spelled C I N E and a Q, uh, Birmingham dot co dot UK. Okay, and that's where we can get tickets from. That's where you can you can get all tickets from there. Okay. Cool. So any prices or? Yeah, so the prices range from free. So we've got some free workshop events that are in partnership with BFI Network that are specifically to get uh, queer people, especially uh, queer people of colour, into film. So there's stuff like there that where we're um, bringing Paris Arzilla down to talk about his uh, experiences um, working in the film industry, how he became successful, how he started making money of making film. Um, and then we've also got this event called Filmmaker Matchmaker, um, which is about basically pairing people that aren't necessarily filmmakers, like mm-hmm. artists, graphic designers, um, you know, animators, people that want to make films but haven't made film. And we're doing like a speed dating thing where they can get really quickly oh, introduced. Oh, cool. I like yeah. that. I and, like that. And then we have the funders in the room. So if they meet each other and they're like, oh, we've got a project, they can instantly go to the funder and be like, we've got this project and start that conversation. Amazing. Yeah, I so, like that. I like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, between free and passes of £30 for all the events. So you can go to all the events apart from Tongues and Tides because of the food element. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, all of the events for 30 quid. Um, and then prices range from between £3 to £13, and the £13 one is the Tongues and Tide because of the food element. Okay, okay. maybe it's quite, that's, like, that's pretty good value to money yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. But I would get the pass because, you know, there's 14 events and tickets are about, they're between, so tickets for things that aren't at the Mac are uh, 6 quid, tickets for things that are at the Mac are £8.50. Or eleven pound, so I would get the pass because there's fourteen events. The pass is thirty quid. You can go to all of the events with the pass. It's like you've saved like you know a good forty quid. Okay, amazing, yeah. amazing. Well, yes, in the queue. Yep. Twenty sixth to twenty ninth of March. Twenty sixth to the twenty ninth of March, two thousand and twenty. And I guess my my spotlight for uh, this podcast would be a great organisation up in Manchester called Colours Youth Festival. 
Um, they uh, Soraya Aisha has done an amazing job running this um, almost residential for queer uh, trans and intersex people of colour that are young to go out there and experience like different uh, different um, skills, different workshops, um, but also to meet each other so they can build stuff, begin to build a network. Yeah. Okay. Really great. Amazing. Well, I think that is a pretty good place to wrap. Yeah. So yes, thank you so much, Rico, thank for, you for having me. Rico. Yeah, for it's being a guest. <laughs> 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 yeah, you were amazing. I think we got like really great conversation. Really great. It's like, like our first guest as well. Yeah, first guest. Yeah. Good awkward. luck following me next time. <laughs> 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 yeah, you were awkward. You were fun. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Oh yes, this um, what we're Black Boy Joy. Um, you can follow us on all good um, plat- podcast streaming platforms: Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We have a link to our Amazon page that's on our Instagram that is Black Boy Joy. Um, you can follow us there. If you have anything you want to say, want to ask, um, you can email us that is blackboyjoypodcast@gmail.com. And then, but yeah, I thought that that's it. Yeah. So yeah, anyone else have anything else to say? Kira, no? No, just thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks Rika for having us in your flat as well. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, peace. <laughs>